Again, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 31. Praise God. Thank you again for being here. Um, obviously, with the holidays and uh, a lot of us getting victory over COVID, um, last Sunday morning, I think, was the smallest number of people we've actually had in the building since our first Sunday 20-something years ago. Um, there were 32 people here. And I hardly ever mention these things, but I just, again, to give glory to God and, and express my appreciation for you guys, um, it was probably the largest fourth Sunday offering that we've ever, ever had. Um, and so, you know, um, you, you just, we preached on not being discouraged last Sunday, and, and I was uh, practicing my own sermon. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's just a testimony to... Um, our family of faith's uh, commitment, um, even when you can't be here or are not comfortable being here, um, you, you still honor the Lord with your increase, and so thank you for that. And um, we have uh, um, been so blessed this year. Um, our largest uh, missions commitment is to Odell Ministries, and we've been able to make every one of those um, uh, offerings to them, uh, gifts to them. And um, talked with Brother Jerry a few days ago, and he just wanted me to express his love and appreciation to you as well. So, amen. Good things coming. Praise God. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It's our golden text, our springboard text that we've been uh, referencing now for some time together. And it simply says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When he asks the question, what will we say to these things, what he's literally asking us is, is how are we going to respond? And what we've been looking at from the Word of God together over the last uh, several weeks is the importance of our response. Um, we preached a few sermons titled, The Power of Response. And one of the things that we've dug out in, in our study together is that our enemy works against us by trying to manipulate our responses. Remember, the devil can't make you do anything, and he can't mess up your life without your cooperation. So how you respond to the challenges you face in life is literally the difference between victory and defeat. When he wanted to mess up the Garden of Eden, he could not do that. He didn't have the power or the authority to do it himself. So he deceived and manipulated Adam and Eve, the ones who did have the power and authority to mess up the Garden of Eden, into doing it for him. And it's the same tactic, it's the same strategy that he uses against you and me. Again, he can't make you do anything, but the enemy tries to entice you. What is sin but a wrong response to temptation? So again, <clears throat> the devil tries desperately to manipulate our responses, and he knows to the extent that he can manipulate your response, my response, he can manipulate your life. So how you respond to the chaos around you will determine whether you're part of the answer or part of the problem. Your response, again, is the difference between victory and defeat, and I do not believe it an exaggeration to say your response is a matter of life and death itself. Now, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he had a lot to say about our attitude and our responses. As a matter of fact, if you study that Sermon on the Mount very carefully, you'll find it in the early part of Matthew, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, you'll see that Jesus covered a whole range of subjects, but the first subject that he uh, discussed was our attitude. 
and specifically the, the kinds of attitudes that, that we need to have in order to be uh, successful and live the life that God created us to live. We also see in that Sermon on the Mount that Jesus dealt with our responses. For instance, he, in that sermon is where we find turn the other cheek, go the second mile, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you, do not take offense when offered, forgive one another. And then, of course, we may not have recognized it as such, but he spent, Jesus spent a great deal of time in that sermon talking about worry. Do not worry. And remember, worry is a response. Worry is a wrong response, amen? But again, it's one that the enemy is trying to manipulate in our lives. Now, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not telling you and me to be the doormat of the world. Um, he's telling us how to avoid the response traps that our enemy sets for us. And he's giving us literally a strategy on how to be victorious in life. Now, here if you're taking notes, uh, write this down. The right response on your part will neutralize the devil's strategies against you. The right response on your part will neutralize the devil's strategies against you. I'm going to say it one more time. The right response on your part will neutralize the devil's strategies against you. Now, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. This is where uh, we've been the last couple of times together, and I want to go back there this morning and make sure that, that we really get this uh, covered accurately. And, and I guess most importantly this morning, what I want to focus in on is, is connecting what we find in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10, with this importance of our responses and and understanding how these two things are connected and, and powerfully and importantly related to one another. Now, one of the things that I feel like I am called to do, that I am assigned to do, is to help people in the body of Christ connect things together in, in the Word of God. Uh, one of the problems that we have in, in the body of Christ today is that people are a jack of all doctrines, but a, but a master of none. Uh, they know a little bit about a lot of things in the Bible, um, but there's not a lot of depth uh, when it comes to anything in their lives. Not you, praise God, but a lot of people suffer from this. But then the other challenge that we have is that what people do know about God is, is a bunch of disjointed parts. And, and so I call it connecting the dots and, and being able to take um, you know, pieces of doctrine here and pieces of doctrine here and understand how they are related and how they connect together to paint um, a, a more complete picture of the life that God created us to live. And so we, we're talking about the power of response, the importance of our responses, having pre-planned, pre-programmed responses, in other words, practicing, rehearsing. That's what Paul was doing in, in Romans, the 8th chapter. He was telling you and me how he responds to the things that he deals with um, in life. And, and we need to go ahead as, as we face a new year, we need to go ahead and establish today how we're going to respond when challenged in the coming days. And so if you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 is where we find 
uh, what the Bible teaches us about the armor of God, or at least one of the places where we find what the Bible teaches us about the armor of God. And it begins uh, in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Look at me for just a moment, please. One of the things that we covered last week is we cannot fall into the trap of responding to people in wrestling with flesh and blood. We need to recognize that there are demonic spirits behind the people that annoy you and irritate you and seem to make it their mission in life uh, to make your life miserable. And, and we can't be tricked into the enemy, by the enemy into responding hatefully or vengefully um, or, or in, in a condemning way, if you will, in a judgmental way uh, towards, towards pe- people, towards human beings. We don't have authority over what they say and do anyway, but we do have authority over the demonic spirits that are trying to manipulate them and use them against, uh, against you, against us. Amen. And so, listen, I could, I could tell you all kinds of stories um, that uh, in, in my life personally and, and things pertaining to this community, um, even things pertaining to the church, right? Where, you know, you pray the prayer, Father, either, either change that person or, or, or get that person somewhere where they will be happy, right? If, if you've got a boss that's, that's miserable and got passed over for promotion and is taking it out on you, uh, pray, for, pray for their heart to change. Pray that they would quit lending an ear to, to, to lying spirits that are, that are tormenting them. But also, if, if they're not willing to change, pray that the Lord will either move them or move you. Amen. And, and it's amazing how he'll do that. Praise God. In other words, I'm not telling you just to sit there and, and, and be tortured and tormented uh, by a miserable person, um, but trust the Lord with it. See, when we, when we start rebelling, when we start... Uh, um, back-talking and bad-mouthing and gossiping and, and all these other things, what we're really doing is we're taking control of something that we don't have control over, right? But when we pray for those who spitefully use us, bless those who curse us, take authority over the demonic spirits that are, that are behind the scenes that we're aware of because of the Word of God, we're now putting it in God's hands and, and trusting Him to resolve these kinds of situations in our lives. Amen? All right, he tells us in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, um, and he goes on, talks about praying always with all prayer and supplication. Now, um, at, at first glance, and I, I got this already, but at first glance, it may look like we're taking a big leap here. Um, to some, it may seem like we're trying to stretch one teaching in the Bible to fit another. But I believe this is exactly where the Holy Spirit has led us. Now, practically and effectively putting on the whole armor of God is as much about attitude as it is anything else, okay? And, and that's what I want to zero in on this morning uh, before we're finished, okay? I'm going to say that again. 
practically and effectively. In other words, we've been given this breastplate of righteousness. We've been given this helmet of salvation. We've, we've been given this suit of armor and even the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of these things are yours by birthright. All of these things belong to you as a, as a child of God. But as we said last week, it's one thing to have a breastplate of righteousness. It's another thing to take it up and put it on. Which then leads us, I think, to a very important question. How do we do that practically? In other words, how do we, if, if, in other words, if it's going to be effective, it's got to be practical. In other words, how do we practice that? If, if I was going to take up and put on the, the breastplate of righteousness right now, um, how would I do that? Obviously, I don't go to my closet at, at my house. That's, that's, it's not something physical that, that we take off of a shelf and slip ourselves into, okay? And so what I'm wanting you to see this morning is that putting on the whole armor of God has to do with attitude. Or let me, let me translate attitude to another word that might make it a little closer to home for you. It's about a mindset. It's about a mindset. It's one thing to be made the righteousness of God. And if you've been born again, you've, you've become righteous. You were made righteous. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's one thing, though, to be made righteous. It's another thing to see yourself as righteous. Most born-again people who have been made righteous still see themselves as sinners as, instead of seeing themselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They're, they're more aware of their sinfulness than they are their righteousness. They're, they're more sin-conscious than they are righteousness-conscious. So I'm going to say it again, practically and effectively putting on the whole armor of God is as much about attitude as it is anything else. In other words, when we talk about putting on the whole armor of God, and you know, because remember we began with how we respond and Jesus teaching us about attitude and Jesus teaching us about responses, let me give you a statement that joins those two together. Your attitude towards a situation determines your response to that situation. Why is attitude so important? Some people say attitude is everything. I think that may be a bit of an exaggeration. But certainly attitude is extremely, extremely important. I don't think it can be exaggerated. All right? so, but again, why is attitude so important? Among other things, your attitude determines your response. Okay? In other words, if you have a wrong attitude towards an individual, how can you ever have a correct response towards that individual? So whatever your attitude is towards a situation, whatever your attitude is towards an individual, whatever your attitude toward is, whatever your attitude is towards a, a challenge that you're facing, right, um, is going to determine how you respond. And how you respond again is how you think, how you speak, and how you act uh, in, in relationship to whatever it is that you're facing and dealing with. So do you see why, again, your response is the difference between victory and defeat? But what determines your response? It's your attitude. So the things that I'm trying to help you connect together this morning is, one more time, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So practically and effectively putting on the whole armor of God is as much about attitude as it is anything else. All right? Are you seeing this? Let me... Let me dig into it a little deeper. Some of this is going to be review, all right? <clears throat> Wiles means schemes. So we're not just putting on the whole armor of God to stand against the devil. 
We're putting on the whole armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes so that we can be victorious over his methods. Wiles should be understood to mean the devil's plotting, his methods, his tactics, the systematic way he works against you. That we may be able to stand against the schemes and the methods the devil uses against us. Now, that's review, but let me, let's build on that a little bit, okay? If you go to the original language, the word is methodia, M-E-T-H-O-D-E-I-A. And this word carries with it the idea of a strategy developed after careful investigation and consideration. It's not just a random strategy. When we're talking about you overcoming the wiles of the devil, we're talking about something that is, um, is customized against you. Something that the enemy is trying... I'm not saying he hasn't used it against other people, okay? But let's go, let me say, give it to you one more time. Methodia carries with it the idea of a strategy developed after careful investigation and consideration. I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but you need to know that your adversary has been studying you and has developed a personalized strategy to use against you. Hebrews 12 calls it the sin that easily besets us. Okay? Like, for instance, some people seem to be more prone to worry than other people. Have you noticed that? Some people tend to be more prone to, to one area of the flesh as opposed to another area. Amen. We're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're, you know, our, our DNA, um, but then also how we were raised and, and, and the different attitudes that we developed over time uh, towards, uh, you know, different things, okay? Um, if, if, if you said B-U-T-T in my home, you said a four-letter word, it was a cuss word, right? Then I would go to, you know, it was rare, but i go to a friend's house. Man, they would just throw all kinds of words around. You know, it's like, it was no big deal to them. You know, and again, I'm not, not judging anybody. I'm just telling you, praise God, you know, how we were raised, nature, nurture, that whole concept. But again, listen to me, please. Your adversary has been studying you. One of the ways he studies you is not just by watching, but by listening to you. By listening to you. Every time you say, it drives me crazy when, there's a demon somewhere taking notes. Right? I can't stand it. They're waiting for you to finish the sentence, right? It bothers me to no end when, and here he comes again, right? Okay? So your adversary has been studying you and has developed a personalized strategy to use against you. You ever heard the phrase, pushing somebody's buttons? Pushing somebody's buttons. She really knows how to push his buttons. Okay. Well, this is what we mean by this personalized strategy. The devil has been studying you to figure out how to push your buttons. Amen. And so we go back to things we've already talked about, the pre-programmed responses, the automatic responses, right? Let me, let me kind of put it back on you, and I'm putting it back on me as well, right? 
What is it that the devil has to manipulate in your life to get you to and fill in the blank? Right? To get you to lose your temper, to get you to speak harshly to your wife, to get you to, um, you know, withdraw into yourself for three days. What, what, what does the devil have to do? What person, what situation does he have to manipulate to get certain negative response from you, right? And you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's kind of ridiculous for me to think about these things. Well, <laughs> that means your enemy's taking the battle more seriously than you are, right? A lot of you know that I, I enjoy college football. It's about the only sport that, that, that I enjoy uh, watching. And, and um, there's a lot about it that interests me other than just the game itself. Part of it has to do with because most of the players are so young, um, you know, how the, the mindset, how the motivation. Um, I love it when a team uh, that really doesn't have the same talent as the team they're playing winds up beating them because they have a better attitude and are more focused and play together as a, as a unit. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, right now, um, Ohio State and Alabama are somewhere studying one another's uh, what we call tendencies. They're, they're, they're looking at every time Ohio State had the ball on third down and five yards to go, what did they do, you see? Every time they had the ball on second down and six yards to go, what did they do? In other words, what are they trying to figure out? They're trying to figure out the tendencies. They're trying to figure out, you know, how they respond when they're facing certain situations so they will be, what, prepared to, to deal with that. Now, both of those sides know this, and so they're also looking at their own tendencies because if, if every time they do this on third and five, they know that their opponent's going to be expecting that, and so we need to do something different. Are, are you following what I'm saying? Okay. And so if we would kind of begin to see this same strategy in our own lives, if you, if you want to give the devil heartburn, just try one time not blowing your stack when somebody cuts you off in traffic. In, 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 instead of waving at them with, you know, that one finger wave, pray for them, right? Uh, I'll never forget, me and Matt and Tom were in his red Chevrolet truck one Sunday morning going to the jail, and this dude, I mean, he just about whacked us. I mean, pulled out in front of us, and, you know, Tom had to lock up the brakes and all that stuff, and this is what Tom said. He said, Lord Jesus, bless that man and help him get wherever he's going today safely. I've probably prayed that prayer a thousand times since that day. I thought, man, that is, that is such a good response, right? You know, I'm about ready. Oh, what are you doing, you idiot? You know, I was, you know, I was, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying, you know, I'm like, man, did you see us? This red truck? How in the world did you miss a red truck? You know, and, 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 and Tom's over there praying that the man will get wherever he needs to go safely. You know, Amen. Well, obviously, there's a right response and a wrong response there. See, the devil's been studying you. He, he knows these answers, whether you know them yet in your own life or not. He knows what it takes to tick you off. He knows what it takes, how many buttons he has to push before you're going to smart off to somebody that loves you. Right? So we've got to become aware of these things, and we've got to begin to, when everything in us wants to respond in a negative way, we've got to 
begin to say these positive things, right? How, how we respond. This is how we overcome the wiles, the schemes, the strategies, the methods, this personalized strategy that the devil um, uses against you. I believe walking in victory literally boils down to being able to overcome the wiles. Because this, this is, um, I know that the devil, you know, so many people have a Hollywood version of the devil. It's Hollywood who makes people think he's this all-powerful, all-knowing monster, you know, 38 feet tall, breathing fire. You know, so, so my friend, the Bible says in Isaiah that when the men of this world will see him for what he really is and who he really is, they will wag their heads in amazement and ask the question, he's the one that caused the problems? He's the one that wouldn't release the prisoners? He's the one that caused, you know, so much chaos and turmoil on the earth? They will be shocked when they see him for who he really is. And that was the Old Testament, right? That was before Jesus got a hold of him. So if you take away his wiles, if you take away his schemes, if you take away him using your power and authority against you, see, death and life's in the power of your tongue. This is why the devil tries so hard to get you to say things. Why do you think so many people, and we're going to get to this in greater detail, but one of the most important things you can learn to do is how to respond when you commit a sin. Think about it. Not that I'm recommending us all going out here and sinning this afternoon. But we're still in the flesh, and we're still going to have these issues, right? How do you respond when you sin? I'll tell you how the devil wants you to respond. He wants you to berate yourself. He wants you to condemn yourself. He wants you to shame yourself. He wants you to punish yourself. He wants you to talk about how you can't do nothing right, how you're the sorriest excuse for a Christian that's ever put on a pair of shoes, blah, 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 right? This is exactly how the devil wants you to respond. Because remember, it's, it's always more than the face value of the sin for him. It's what he can make you believe about yourself. That's what he's more interested than anything else. So what should we do when we sin? First thing, first thing the Bible says, if we confess our sin, Father God is, is uh, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So first thing we should do is confess it, right? Father, that was wrong. Don't call it a mistake. Oh, I slipped. No, you sinned. Call it what it is, right? It's a sin. I shouldn't have done it, Father. It's, 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 it's wrong. I should not have done that. Please forgive me. What should you do next? Father, according to your word, it wasn't me who committed that sin. It was my flesh. And the real me is my born-again spirit. And I'm just as right before you in the eyes, uh, in your eyes as Jesus himself. Thank you for making me free from sin. Thank you for making me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Amen. See, the devil, does, he's wanting to point to your mistake and try to convince you that you're a sinner, that you're, you're an addict, that you're uh, this and that. Again, how are you going to respond? 
How are you going to respond? Amen. All right. Let me, there's so much I want to cover this morning. Let's, let's do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, while we're here, pushing the buttons, okay? Pushing the buttons. Methodia. While you're turning to 2 Corinthians 2, let me tell you one more time. It's a strategy developed after careful investigation and consideration. Your adversary has been studying you and has developed a personalized strategy to use against you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Look at me for just a moment. I wish we had 45 minutes to teach on all this, but this goes all the way back to 1 Corinthians. Do you remember the, the, um, there was a couple in the church there in Corinth where um, a father's son had had an affair with his stepmother, and now the two had become a couple. And, you know, he was singing in the choir, and she was helping out with the kids. And, and everybody was pretending like it was okay because we're under grace. And the Apostle Paul says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is, this is wrong. Are you hearing me? This is wrong. And this one should be turned over to Satan. Perhaps that his soul will be saved. In other words, there, you don't just need to act like everything's okay. Right? Now, you read that and you think, wow, you know. Well, Paul brings it back up in 2 Corinthians. And he says, hey, it's, it's, time to, it's time to show the love now because there's been repentance. He talks about uh, that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Worldly sorrow, right, just is, is pride and pity. And because there was godly sorrow and there was repentance, the church was better off because of it and they all grew together. And the Apostle Paul says, okay, it's time to welcome him back. It's time to love him now. It's time to forgive him now. It's time that, that he grows and, and learns from this. Okay? And so this is what he's saying as, as the apostle over that church, that if they've forgiven him, he's forgiven him, he's forgiven, Paul's forgiven him, they've forgiven him, all's forgiven. Okay? Now, but notice the comma at the end of verse 10, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Can I tell you what might be the number one wrong response in all of Christianity? Unforgiveness. It's where we don't forgive the people who've wronged us. Somebody said it's, and I don't know who, but it's a good quote. It's like you drinking the poison and hoping somebody else dies. That's unforgiveness. Okay? And Jesus had a lot to say about this. Because there's going to be people who wrong us. I wish I could tell you that, that that wasn't the case. There are going to be people who treat you in a way that you should not be treated. The devil is behind that. We don't wrestle with the flesh and the blood. How do we get victory over those things in life? Not by seeking vengeance, not by holding a grudge, not by passing judgment but by forgiving, but by forgiving. 
And notice that Paul says it's good that we forgive because if we're not careful, unforgiveness on our part, right, will, will lead to what? Satan having an advantage over us. We're not ignorant of his devices. Now this word device ties in with this word wiles, which also means schemes or in the original language, methodia. This word device, listen to it very carefully, a plan, method, or trick with a particular aim. So when it says that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, notice ignorance on our part equals an advantage on the enemy's part. If we don't realize what he's trying to do and how he's trying to work against us, it makes it all the more easy for him to work what he's trying to work against us. But when we realize that when people offend us, it's nothing more than the devil setting a trap for us and we refuse to take the offense and refuse to take the bait and refuse to fall into the trap, you just thwarted one of Satan's strategies, one of his devices, one of his wiles against you. I mean, we talked about gossip about six weeks ago, and, and Proverbs says it's like a tasty morsel. I mean, it's like those pecan sandies that my mother-in-law makes. She's those cookies that have the powdered sugar on them. I mean, you walk through the kitchen, and it's just like your arm goes over there and grabs one. You know, I mean, it's just gossip's like that, right? It's, it's, there's something in our flesh that, but again, it's, it's, this, it's the enemy who's trying to get you and manipulate you into those things. Praise God. All right, let me, I know it's time for communion. Let me, let me begin here and then we'll pick it up here next week. Um, have you ever put on or wore a uniform? Anybody? A uniform? I know that, that um, it could be a, a team uniform, it could be a work uniform, it could be, a, um, I, I, for me, it was the first time was at Chick-fil-A. We had, the, we had the, uh, the uniforms, and this was back when it was all polyester, right? And um, so you'd get that flower season, and season coating, excuse me, all over you, and um, black polyester pants. You could take a, a wet towel and just wipe and it was just like they were just came out of the washing machine. I mean, it was like, they weren't very comfortable, but they were durable. Amen. Um, then I remember when I got promoted to assistant manager. And so I went from the, the, the polo shirt to the Chick-fil-A dress shirt with the tie with the C, that little C in front of the chicken, and had the C all over the tie. You know? Then I went to work for the city of Hoover, and although I was a police and fire, and I'm an operator, police and fire dispatcher, I pretty much had a police uniform without the gun. And, um, and man, I remember, like, you know, drive, get off work at uh, 11 o'clock at night and have to stop and get gas, you know, on maybe a not-so-good side of town wearing a police uniform with no pistol. I'm like, dude, i got to start wearing a coat or something over this thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I had the badge and everything, you know. I can just imagine somebody running up to me, help, he's trying to rob me. I'm like, you're on your own, sister. No, I'm kidding. So, but there's something about when you put on a uniform. Am I right about this? Singers and musicians, come on, pray. There's something about when you put on that uniform. Because when you put on that uniform, you become an extension of the team or the institution 
or the government that that uniform represents. Are you, are you following me? So when we put on the whole armor of God, right? The, notice it's the whole armor of who? The whole armor of God. If you put on the, the, the uniform of the United States Marine Corps, if, if you put on the uniform of, um, you know, a mechanic or um, uh, whatever, and all of a sudden you're, you're representing um, the, the company, the government, uh, the institution uh, that that uniform represents. And the same is true when we put on the whole armor of God. Amen? Well, praise God. you get anything out of this? All right, so just a real quick like, attitude determines response. Putting on the whole armor of God is about attitude more than anything else. So to put on the breastplate of righteousness means we have an attitude of righteousness. We have a mindset of righteousness. That we're not a sinner looking for some place to sin, but we're the righteousness of God. Amen. And our righteousness is breaking forth, the Bible says, like the noonday. That, that our righteousness is, 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 is not just something that we've received inwardly, but it's now something that we've immersed ourselves in and are clothed in outwardly. I know some people say, and listen to me, you can disagree with me, that's all right, but, but, but I know some people say putting on the breastplate of righteousness means you're living righteously. Well, I'm not saying we shouldn't live righteously, we should. But the only way you will ever live righteously is if you have a righteousness mindset. Jesus made you righteous, but until you learn to think like a righteous man thinks and see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that righteousness will never be translated into your behavior. As long as you think you're only righteous if you're being good, you've missed the point. But it's realizing that whether you're struggling or whether you're shining, you're still righteous and you have that righteousness mindset. That's putting it on, right? And you're going to find there are days that, that, that it's a little more challenging to put on than others. That's when you need to put it on the most, amen? You always need to put it on, but when you're really struggling with it, that's when you need to rise up all the more, praise God. All right, stand with me this morning, praise God. If you have not yet uh, secured a, uh, a set of um, uh, communion emblems, then you're welcome to do that now. They're in the, on the tables in the back, um, and we welcome you to do that, praise God. <clears throat> amen. If you're joining us online this morning, hopefully... Uh, um, I gave the shout out last month, but hopefully you've got your uh, juice and cracker ready and can partake of communion together with us this morning. Um, if you will, peel back the, the upper tab and, uh, and underneath there you'll find the wafer. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> we'll give you a second to do that and then we'll pay over the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Father, as we stand before you this morning, we, we hold this bread that represents the body of Jesus, the body of Christ that was broken, Lord, so that our individual bodies could be made whole and well. 
and so that we could come together collectively as the body of Christ. And so, Father, as, as we hold this bread this morning, we do so humbly, we do so recognizing that it represents the most precious and most valuable uh, person, <laughs> Lord, the, the greatest gift um, that, that we've ever been and ever could be given, Father. And Lord, I thank you that uh, Jesus glorified you in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And now we know that he's seated next to you in heavenly places. And so, Father, as we remember his death this morning, we also celebrate his resurrection and our resurrection. We celebrate his ascension and our ascension together with him this morning. And we thank you, Father, for all that this bread represents. May it come to fruition and may it produce its results in our lives today as you intended. In Jesus' name, let's partake together. start naming folks, I'm, I'm sure that I'll overlook or may not be aware of some, but um, our dear sister Nancy Looney is in the hospital this morning. Um, she's having a heart procedure um, today, an emergency heart procedure, so we lift our sister Nancy up to you. Our brother David Doles um, took a fall this week and had to have some surgery on his feet, so that's why he's not with us this morning. We lift David up. Um, I know that sister Susan and Brother Jerry are recovering this morning as well. Um, I know some folks don't want their uh, medical business put out over the internet, but um, we now believe we're all family this morning. So, um, And then anybody else that we may not have mentioned, Father, we lift them up to you today. And we agree together as a family of faith based upon the blood covenant that Jesus made for us that they are healed and whole and strong Father, there are many standing among us this morning that have recovered by your hand and by your grace from the coronavirus. And Lord, we give you honor and praise and thanks for that. And Lord, it, it all comes back to this blood. It all, it all comes back to the covenant. It all comes back to the healing and the salvation. And so, Father, we put on the helmet of salvation this morning. We, we rise up and call ourselves the saved. We call ourselves, Father, those who've been made one with you, those who have a covenant with you. Those, Father, that Jesus paid the ultimate price for, spirit, soul, and body. And Lord, we thank you for healing. We thank you for recovery. We thank you for restoration. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that we all have and the removal of sin that we all have received because of this blood. And so, Father, as we partake together, we do so humbly with gratitude. Father, looking ahead, the, the world um, offers a, a, a cup in, in toast or in 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 reference to a certain situation or event. Father, we lift this cup of communion uh, in thanks for providing for us and caring for us in 2020. And we lift this cup of communion, Father, looking ahead with faith and expectation and excitement for a glorious 2021. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. John Mark's going to lead us in worship. Let's do that before um, we're dismissed. Um, if you would like someone to pray with you this morning, these altars are open. We invite you to come. <laughs> 